Good morning and welcome you here service this morning. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. going to be looking at a parable this morning. It's a familiar parable. I feel like my voice is giving out on me. <clears throat> I'll see if I can hold it together. This parable here is one that I find, uh, every time I read it, I find it, uh, I don't know if fascination is a word, but it it causes me to sit up and, and pay attention and maybe ask some questions, some serious questions. Let's read Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were wise took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they were, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherewith the Son of Man cometh. This chapter, Matthew 25 and 24, would be known as the, uh, the Olivet Discourse, where uh, Jesus went up or out of Jerusalem and, I guess, to take a break. And um, he had been teaching, and the disciples came to Jesus, and they had some questions. And these questions pertaining to them, well, one was they were looking and viewing and saw the temple, and they, they asked Jesus about that, and then they wanted some more questions, or they had some more questions about the future. And Jesus ends up in these chapters here, talking and answering those questions. And this is one of the parables that he gave in regards to a response to maybe or to a future event. We have the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. Obviously this is talking about an event that uh, has not happened yet. How should we be living in light of Christ's return? What should we be doing now if we know Christ may soon come? These are some questions that I ask myself. This parable has an interesting setting, one that we are somewhat familiar with, and that is the setting of a wedding celebration. 
and the ten virgins are participants in this wedding. It's not one virgin, but it's ten virgins. They all have some fire in their lamps. All their lamps are burning. But some had oil and some did not. Foolish and wise. So was this the ones that didn't have oil? Could we say that these are some that maybe needed a few more days to get ready? I think we can find the answer in the end of the verses that we read. What does the Lord say? I don't even know you. Even if they would have had a few more days, would have they come to know him? I wonder how many people think they know him, but does he know them? The ten virgins are a very symbolical way to describe a very special event that's that's coming up. Jesus' second coming is referred to as a wedding. I want to give three reasons why Christ and the church, the church being the bride, are compared to as a marriage relationship. First reason, marriage portrays the close relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and His church. God has chosen this highest and close closeness of all human relationship, and that is the marriage relationship. To be, it's to portray the bond that we can have with Him. Just like a husband will love his wife, and the wife will love her husband. The love and commitment between Christ and His church is very much like a maternal love and a commitment that exists between a bride and a groom. Revelation 19.9 tells us of the time that we are with Christ and we'll take part in that wedding feast. Like no other feast, that we will ever probably ever had before. I wasn't sure if I should share this or not, but I think I will. Um, it was a, a, a message that was uh, given to me that was that Christy had given to someone else, actually to my aunt, when. Uh, Dale had passed away, and uh, she just went on, Christy had, in this message, went on to relay how some of the struggles that she, you know, had to deal with and face with having cancer and stuff. And, uh, you know, in this life, we have expectations and aspirations and, 
desires and, and things that we enjoy. Um, and the one thing that she mentioned was the fact that it, um, she struggled with feeling isolated. You know, here's my family, and I am being taken away. They get to stay, and I have to go. And uh, she said that uh, Jesus just, or God just impressed upon her how it's, it's not ending here. And the fact is that she gets to go be with Him. And this is in that relationship that as we get to be one with Christ in a relationship that we can have. And not only that, but then we'll all get to be there. So the relationships that we have here today, when we're in heaven, probably will be that much better. That's the hope that we have. You know, right now it doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair, but God knows what He's doing. Are we eagerly and waiting for the time of our bridegroom, Christ, to appear in His majestic glory and to take us home? Custom back in the day. Can I get a glass of water? I usually don't drink water. But I feel... It's common, it's okay. <laughs> I usually don't, sorry, I, I usually don't even touch it. But I just feel like I need to have it right now. Um, the custom back in that day uh, for a marriage relationship was for the parents to arrange the girl and the boy for marriage. And if I understand it right, they did that at a fairly young age. And uh, they would line this up. Thank you. And uh, they would go on their separate ways, and um, the boy would mature and learn the things that a boy should learn, learn the trade, probably the trade of his father somewhat get established, build his build himself a house. The girl likewise would also go her way and would learn what she needs to learn about being a good wife. And at some point, when this all comes down to the time, the marriage, when everything is ready, the groom would then go and get his bride at her father's place and take her back to his father's place and they'd have a big feast. But they didn't have the avenues of, of connection that we have these days. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have other means to... Yeah, physically, they had to watch and wait. Patiently wait. But I'm sure that if they were from the same town, I'm sure there was still this anticipation, the talk of the town, as obviously the groom, the boy, the man, as he's building his house. Well, the walls are up. 
It's getting close. The roof is on. Now we're getting closer. Now the furniture's moved in. And you know, I'm sure there was this anticipation, well now when? You know, it's close. And the bride had to be ready when the groom came. I must have said something funny because there's laughing. I'm going to get mixed up with my groom and brides, I'm sure. Um, John 14, verse 2 and 3. Jesus gave us a wonderful promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We have the promise that Jesus is preparing a place, getting a place ready for us, that when he comes for us, we can be with him. That was the first reason. Second reason why Christ's return is like a wedding day is that the marriage is an event that mark that is marked by happiness and rejoicing. There's a lot of, should be, a lot of cheer, happiness, happy for the bride and the groom. The happiness to see them join together. This is a day that they have been earnestly waiting for. So the same is true for us. Are we earnestly expecting and waiting for that happy day when Christ will come for us? Christ's return will be a wedding day for us. The day when we will forever be in the presence of our beloved Redeemer and we will enter into the joy of our Lord. For those who are ready and redeemed by Christ, there is no greater happiness than to be in that presence with Christ. Psalm 16:11 In thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Reason number 3. <clears throat> For Christ's return being like a wedding, it involves us making preparation. A wedding takes a lot of preparing. Those who are married or those that have children that have gotten married know very well the preparation that goes into making a wedding. You have the cake, you have the flowers, you have the material for the dresses, the food menu, the photographer, the invitation cards, those who will be part in the wedding, those who will be invited, and there's a lot more of that. I didn't mention. It all takes effort. It all takes time to prepare. Details to work out. I believe the main reason for this parable is to drive home the preparation that we need to do for Jesus' return. And that rep- 
represent by the virgins here, the five that had oil and the five that didn't. <clears throat> These ten virgins in this parable form a welcome party for the groom and his bride. Their duty was to watch out for the groom's approach and then to eagerly watch for his arrival by whatever time and then be ready for the possession. But you never knew when that time would come. Sometimes there was delays, sometimes they had to wait. Obviously in this parable, they waited and they got tired. Nighttime came, they fell asleep. And it was midnight when finally the groom came. Now I don't think that there's necessarily um, wrong in falling asleep. That's not the thrust of this parable at all. The fact is that we are human, we get tired, and we need sleep. But the fact is that there was five that weren't prepared and got caught when they fell asleep. Then suddenly at midnight, there was a rude awakening. The cry, Behold, the bridegroom has come. Come out to meet him. Can you imagine the, the panic the or the anxiety? You wake up and realize that your lamp that you had is gone out and realize that, oh, I don't have any oil. I thought he would come before now. Maybe the long wait that is described here is talking about the church and how we have waited for this wonderful event. And it has been almost 2,000 years since Christ ascended to heaven. Generations have come and gone. Generation after generation of Christians have been looking for Christ to appear in the sky. Even Paul thought that Christ would come back in his time. But he hasn't returned. Many have given up waiting. Or they think that Christ is not going to return. Or that he has already returned, but in an unseen spirit manner. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their, their after their own lust and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers have fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation scoffers people that where is him where is he where why isn't he coming? In Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse two, there's false teachers who were preaching that Christ, the day, preaching the day of Christ had already come. 
Why is it taking so long for the Lord to return? I think we can find our answer in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It goes like this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our Sunday school lesson this morning was the call to repentance. And you did a good job. This Christmas season, as we reflect on Christ coming as a baby, He's going to come back again. And if we have not accepted the, the salvation, the plan of salvation, have repented from our evil ways, we will be like the five virgins that do not have oil. The main point here is that the Lord knows what He's doing. This is all under His control. 2,000 years may seem like a long time. We are finite creatures. With God, there's actually no delays. Everything is proceeding right on schedule. Turn to chapter Luke. Turn to chapter Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Verse 20. And when he was demanding... And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Pharisees came to Jesus and asked Jesus, When is the kingdom of God come? And Jesus is standing right in front of them. Jesus being God. Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. It'd be like... Alex, are you here? You're here. Are you sure? It's so obvious. These Pharisees came and asked Jesus when the kingdom, and here he is, God. How dumb of a question. Alex is here. You see, we sometimes want signs, and they're so obvious, and they're right before us. And that is the kingdom of God is within you. The first words of Jesus' ministry was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Back in Matthew. 
chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's going to happen? God's going to take care of all the rest. We don't need to worry about... Uh, it says, For even as the Gentiles seek after, what shall we drink or what... Wherewith shall we be clothed? What shall we eat? You know, those are things sometimes we get sidetracked with. God does allow Satan to have access. Satan has a kingdom. In Matthew 12, back a few chapters here, verse 26, speaking of Satan's kingdom, and if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall he then, his kingdom, stand? Satan is operating in his kingdom. God has his kingdom. What it comes down to is we have a free will. And that free will is what makes us different. We have a choice to make. What better joy and blessing and love can we show to God when we choose to follow and to serve in his kingdom. Sometimes the choices we make, if we would sit down and we would calculate what the cost is between God's choice and Satan's choice, we find that we sell out for really, really cheap. Look at what it costs these five virgins that didn't have oil. The door was shut. And even that, not even that, he said, I don't, I don't even know you. There was no relationship there. Could it be that the pause for the return of Christ is that the fullness of the Gentiles, us, we're Gentiles, we're all Gentiles here, as far as I know. That, that fullness hasn't been met yet, hasn't reached yet, but there's day, there will be a day coming, and it could be very soon, that that number is fulfilled. And then the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth, exactly as he promised. And it will happen at the least expected time. The world won't be prepared for that event because the Bible talks about it being as in the days of Noah. How was it in the days of Noah? They were busy eating, drinking, marrying, giving to marriage, fighting, doing business just like they always did. Are today, is today like the days of Noah? Titus 2, 
verse 11, 13. Looking for that blessed hope. But we need to be living godly lives if we want to be ready to meet Him. We need to lay aside the hindrances in our lives. The weights that weigh us down, that distract us. Paul talks of of, of the race. How well can you run a race when you have extra weight on? Those things that can be a hindrance to us. We need to let God search our hearts, our lives. We need to take stock of there's things that we need to move, remove. Dead weight that is attached to us, that is hindering us from pursuing Christ. Are you and I committed to discard, to throw off, whatever that may be? And then are we patiently waiting for Christ's return? Let's be like the five wise virgins in the paragraph who made absolutely sure that they were ready. For when the bridegroom came, they went with him. Do not wait until the last minute to prepare. This example is in verses 8 through 12. You know, they realized they didn't have oil. What did they do? They had to go buy more oil. And I often thought about that. Well, you know, why didn't the other five give them some oil? I mean, that would have been an easy solution. I mean, obviously, you take the chance of not having enough for yourself. The more I thought about it, the more I thought... The oil, if it's representing us preparing our life for Christ, we can't, inter- we can't uh, do that for someone else. It takes our personal preparation to be what we need to be when we're ready with Christ, when He comes. We, what we do, we can't transfer to other people. You know, obviously, those five virgins were able to go buy some oil. So, did they go make preparation? But when they returned, it was too late. The door was shut. Could that mean that the door of salvation at some point will be shut? Today is the day of salvation. If you're not ready with Christ, if you're not right with Christ and ready to meet Him, today is the day. Don't wait. Because if the door is shut and you realize that you don't have oil, then it's too late. You will be barred from the presence of the Lord and you will not be able to be part of that marriage feast. Their calls and their pleas to Him availed nothing. I don't know you. 
In the same way, there is many who profess the name of Christ and who will hear the same words from the mouth of Christ one day. They think they're saved, but they're mistaken. And they are utterly unprepared, undone at his return and will not be allowed to be part of his kingdom. This part is what grips me. There's ten people, ten virgins. They're all prepared to meet the bride. But there's only half that make it. And ask you, personally, search your heart. Do you have a vibrant relationship with your Lord? What are those indicators? Like we talked about in Sunday school, the fruit of the Spirit. Is that evident? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If you are caught unprepared when Christ returns, you will have no one but yourself to blame. Because God's word has it all given out, laid out in front of us. He has given us ample warning. There will be no excuse. The information that Jesus has given us is there. And the information that Jesus has given us is that he is coming. And his coming will take, it will take um, us maybe, I don't want to say by surprise, but maybe somewhat unexpectedly, because no man knows what day or hour he will come. But we do know that the signs that he has given point to that. Do not put off your lamps and your oil, but get them ready. Be wise and not foolish. This doesn't mean that we sell out, sell the farm, sell the business, and we sit on lawn chairs on the top of a hill looking heavenwardly, anticipating that return. But rather, I think we still can have that anticipation as we go about our work. In Luke 19.13, the story of the ten servants, he says to occupy till I come. So in other words, whatever we're doing, if it's for the Lord, and our business, farming, carpentry, truck driving, whatever it is, if it's, done, if it's being done for the Lord, I believe that is, we need to keep doing that. And we can do good while we're doing that. I truly believe 
that we are living in the last minutes of the last hours of the last days. I remember, I think, it was Arnie would often say, one thing for sure, we know we are one day closer to his return. And every day that comes and goes, we're one more day closer. So let's be diligent in our preparation for Christ's return, in preparing our lamps and our oil, that when he does come, if it is at midnight and we are sleeping, that we are ready.